there are so many specific words from God that are being released into the earth that, you know, the Bible talks about us knowing the times and the seasons, knowing the times in which we live. We must know them. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees many times for not knowing the times that they were in. He said, you know how to study the stars and the weather patterns, but you don't even know what's arrived right among you because he was standing right there and they were, whoop, didn't, oh, it's still coming, it's still coming, right? right? And so we're, we're at a place right now where we're saying, no, we see it, it's here now, it's here now, there's confirmation everywhere, and we're just going to begin to walk in faith. And so even today, um, we're, we've been talking about maturity. Today, we've been, we're going to talk about maturity of faith. We've been talking about maturity of the faith, and today we're going to talk about maturity of faith, two different things. Um, and I'll just say maturity is being able to last more than an hour and a half in a church service. No, I'm just kidding. Because <laughs> we're going to go longer than noon today. Sorry. Um, not sorry. This is, we're getting ready for what God's about to do in the earth. And this is so important. Every piece, every part together is preparing us as a community for what God is doing in the earth. And we have to be ready. That's the urgency that we're feeling as a leadership team, as a community. We must be ready for what God's going to do and is doing in the earth now, and we can't waste time. You know, there's no, there's no time to waste. And the great news is that at any moment we say yes to God, he redeems all lost time. <laughs> He's awesome. He's so awesome like that. So we don't have to, you know, dwell in condemnation or regret of wasted time. No, today's the day, say yes, and he redeems the time. He's awesome. As we've just a quick review, some of the things that we've talked about so far, it's just we had gone from talking about the religious spirit, and really the religious spirit is a false or pretends maturity, right? Just like the, the Pharisees of the day, that nothing in their life displayed the fruit of the Spirit of God. But they, they walked around as if they were the most mature. They were seen by everyone until... True maturity showed up on the scene, which was Jesus, perfection. And then all of that was inside of them, was exposed. All their immaturity was just brought to the surface. It was seen for what it was because true maturity had shown up. You know, and there's, there's a stark, stark difference between false or pretend maturity where we're just trying to to act as though we know God and have intimate relationship with him and, and walk with him, and we have for many years. There's a stark difference between that and true maturity, which is what we've been talking about, where your life, true maturity looks like something. <laughs> it has very specific and distinct qualities that we can notice through a life to say, yes, that person's walking in maturity. We've talked about Ephesians 4 gifts, and that was part of the word from Chattanooga as well. They began to call forth apostles and prophets and the five-fold ministry in the church. And you know that that's something that we think is essential <laughs> to the establishment of the church because in the Bible it was. Because that's the way God designed his church. So therefore, it's going to be the way that... <laughs> is right and actually produces fruit they also were but the ephesians 4 these total gifts are to bring the church into maturity that is their mandate it says in ephesians 4 11 he gave them apostles prophets evangelists shepherds teachers to equip the saints 
for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity, that's what Joe was just talking about, of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we would not, no longer be children. And the picture of children here in Ephesians is tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine. That's unstable. That's like, oh, you tell me one thing, I believe this. Oh, you, you tell me something else, I'm over here. I'm constantly just tossed back and forth in what I believe and why I believe it, and I'm not grounded. The full maturity is the stature of Jesus. He's our standard, and the fivefold gift is to bring the church, local churches, into that maturity. We've talked about how this is God, that's God's plan. He's bringing his church to maturity. That's what he's doing. This is an extremely important thing. It's not just secondary, oh yeah, if we get to it. This is his plan because he displays himself to all authorities and principalities through his church. So he's bringing his church to maturity to display his glory in the earth in greater and greater and more increasing measure. So that requires each one of us, as we've said, the global church being mature means many local churches being mature, which means many families being mature, which means individuals. Each of us becoming mature <laughs> will produce a global, mature church that shines the glory of Jesus. In the past few weeks, we've talked about maturity in the faith. And when we say the faith, I'm talking about the word didache. That's the Greek word, which means doctrine. It means teaching, the deposit. That's what it's translated as in the New Testament many times when the apostles said, we're passing on the deposit. That's the didache. That's the faith. That's this body of teaching that was passed down from Jesus to the apostles to the church to the fivefold ministers, that is the deposit. It's sound doctrine. And like we've said a million times, and I will never stop saying it until it's so ingrained in your mind, sound doctrine is not sound unless you're living it out. I, I, Joseph was the only one who responded. Guys, guys, <laughs> I was expecting this roar. <laughs> Guess I gotta say it a million more times. <laughs> Lucky you. So maturity in the faith is talking about sound doctrine that we know what we believe, why we believe it. We're unwavering in those things. And that makes us in unity with one another, that we're grounded together in the faith, in what was passed down from Jesus to the apostles to the church and continues to be passed down. We've talked about Part, uh, parts of uh, being mature in the faith means knowing your identity. That's at the foundation of it all, knowing who you are, knowing who God is and who you are. Christ in us, in the earth, we are his children. We have been redeemed. We are a new creation. We are legally children of God. We belong to him. We are loved, and this changes everything. And again, it's not head knowledge because we've all heard these things so many times. It's lived out. Do we live out as though I'm redeemed? I'm a new creation. You hear the teaching we heard from Freedom, Se Freedom Sessions, which we'll be hearing again soon. Have a greater understanding of what that looks like, what that sounds like. A new creation. <laughs> Woo. Belonging to the Lord. 
So that's foundational to maturity in the faith. Walking in humility will come out of that. When we know our identity, when we're grounded in who we are, knowing who we are, that we're loved, we're redeemed, we're new, humility flows from that place just like it did for Jesus. He knew who he was, so he walked in humility. He didn't have to defend himself. He didn't have to defend his sonship. In fact, he never did. Do you see that? He never tried to, to show off that he was the, the son of God. He never tried to defend it. He was 100% secure in it. And because of that, he actually went to the lowest place, right? Death on a cross, a criminal's death, so that he could be exalted to the highest place, Philippians 2. Maturity in the faith, knowing your identity, walking in humility, living in community. We talked about that last week. That's maturity in the faith, understanding our roles in community. This is something I forgot to say last week. If you are the most mature person in your relationships and friend groups, you're doing yourself a disservice. If you are the most mature person in your friendships and in your relationships, you're doing yourself a disservice. You gotta get around people who are more mature than you. How else are you gonna grow? If you're the cap, how else are you gonna grow? We have gotta be rubbing shoulders with people who sharpen us, who are calling us a little further, a little further, a little further. I need that, you need that, we each need that, and that comes in community. That comes in relationship and hanging out with different types of people. And you'll know by the fruit who's more mature than you, by the fruit of their lives, who's displaying the fruit of the Spirit in greater measure than you are. That's not a knock, <laughs> right? We all have people who are more mature than us. And we've got to link arms with them so that we can grow. We'll always be striving to be more and more like Jesus together. We'll be inspired. I mean, that was like when I was young in the faith, Joe and Josiah were my people. Um, it was kind of embarrassing to think because I... <laughs> they were the most mature people I knew at that time, and I had to link, I mean, uh, link arms with them. It, it was only me knowing I was linking. They didn't know I was linking arms with them, but I was kind of like secretly following them around. But without shame, I needed to grow. I, I was hungry, and so I had to be around them. I had to hear what they were talking about. I had to be doing what they were doing because I could tell they had something that I didn't have yet. And it inspired me. It stirred hunger. Get around people who stir your hunger, who don't pull you backwards, but who push you forward. Right? That's living in community. Maturity looks and sounds like something. It's something specific and clear. Remember last week, loving God and loving your neighbor, the whole law, all of it summed up into one precept. Love your neighbor as yourself. He made it pretty simple for us, pretty clear. We don't have to memorize and do lists and lists and lists of things to display our allegiance to God. He summed it up into one, the greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is done in community. You can't do it apart from community. Sound doctrine lived out looks like something, and when you're in community, uh, the things that don't look like it will come to the surface. <laughs> we'll sharpen one another. 
We'll have opportunity to grow. We'll have opportunity for conflict. Woohoo! Woohoo! Where we can choose to love one another, choose to be patient, choose to forgive, choose to listen and to hear and grow. That doesn't happen when there's no conflict. No conflict will happen if you never hang out with anybody. If you haven't been in conflict with anyone in this church family, you're not hanging out with people enough. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I'm not saying that we're just trying to be in conflict, but that's part of relationship. That's part of growing deep in relationship. It's healthy. I remember doing marriage counseling, and they, before we got married, they asked a group of people that were getting married. There were like seven couples getting married in our church in the same year. It was nuts. We started it. Well, I'll just say that. But anyway, there were seven couples there, and they asked everyone, who has had their first fight? Of course, me and Tom were like big hands raised all the way up. <laughs> we had had many conflicts, and there were some that had never had any. And the, the people that were hosting the conference, a married couple that had been married for 30 years, they said, you know, it's very dangerous that you haven't had a conflict yet. <laughs> Conflict's going to come up in marriage. You need to learn how to walk through conflict together. That's the same thing for church community. You won't have it if you're just too afraid to cross some, some lines with people, to go a little deeper. What prevents us from getting there is that step into the depths where we start to really know each other and see the good, bad, and ugly. You can't do that from afar. You won't become mature in that way. So those are some of the, the keys to maturity in the faith. Knowing the teaching, knowing your identity, humility. I made it easy. It's like itty, 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 itty. Identity, humility, community. Whoa. Identity, humility, community. Try to get it in your head. Maturity. Uh, Wow, it's like a move of God in the room. <laughs> no one can rhyme that much. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, the anointing. It's the spirit of God. He's a rhymer. Ask Lori. <laughs> so today we're going to start talking about maturity in faith. We have a lot to talk about in maturity. For the next, we're going to keep going on and on until the spirit doesn't give any more. We have a lot to go through, but right now we're going to talk about maturity in faith. If you think about 1 Corinthians 13, what does it say? It's the love chapter, right? We know that. But at the end it says, faith, hope, love, remain these three. And the greatest of these is love. And usually we just forget faith and hope because we're like, the greatest is love. Which, yes, that is the, the foundation to it all. That is the greatest. Without love, we can do nothing. Our faith means nothing. He said, you, if, even if you could move mountains with your faith, if you do not have love, it means nothing, right? But on the other hand, faith, hope, and love remain these three. These three things are going to remain. It just talked about how all the gifts, everything else is going to pass away in the age to come. But faith will remain. Isn't that crazy? Faith, hope will remain. Love will remain. We need to be mature in faith. What is faith? I mean, what scripture do you think I'm going to read? <laughs> yeah, Hebrews 11. 
in the amp in the I'll read the New American first. It says, "Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of this is verse one through three. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen." was not made out of things which are visible. <laughs> By faith we understand that what we're seeing was made out of things that are invisible. Think about that for a second. <laughs> By faith I understand that what I'm seeing, all of creation, all things created, all the things that we can see was made out of things which are not visible. Amazing. It was made by things not visible. And so there's speaking to a supernatural realm beyond what our eyes can see. Faith requires us. The fruit of faith will be that you believe. Okay, that's the fruit of faith. And I'm going to read in the Amplified, just verse 1. Now faith is the assurance, the, now I love this, the confirmation, the title deed, the title deed of the things we hope for, being the proof of things we do not see, and the conviction of their reality, faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. What? Faith will naturally produce in us this conviction of truth, a title deed for things we don't yet see yet, and yet we hope for. Like what we're talking about all this morning. We can't, we need faith to believe that revival is here now, right? The title deed, the conviction that it's here right now. The assurance. This is what faith is. And, and hopping over to Romans, we're going to dig deep into some of these over, you know, weeks, but just laying out some quick foundation here for what we're talking about. I, I was reading Romans 3, 4, and 5, and I wanted to read the whole chapters to you guys. Good thing I decided not to because I'm reading them and I'm just feeling so gripped by the entirety of each chapter. So please go home and read it all because it's talking about faith and, and what it means is mind-blowing. But to start in Romans 3, verses 26 to 28. And, and Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he, these are all Gentile believers, right? And, and he's saying to them, he's talking about Jesus coming and being crucified he's preaching the gospel to them and he's you know the verse we all know is verse 23 since we've all sinned and are falling short of uh, the yeah sorry i don't want to read the amplified it's too long <laughs> for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god being justified as a gift by his grace that's verse 4 through the redemption which is provided in Christ Jesus. And then verse 25, who God put, he's just talking about Jesus being the, 
divine uh, sacrifice for us to be brought in. It's nothing that we could have done. He's, he's really slicing the works thing off of them. We've been talking about circumcision. He, he really lays into that. He's saying, no, Jesus is the only way. He's the divine sacrifice that has made it possible. Nothing that we could have done because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And then verse 26, he says, it was to demonstrate and prove at the present time that he, Jesus himself, is righteous and that he justifies and accepts as righteous him who has true faith in Jesus then what becomes of our pride and our boasting? Is it excluded? On what principle? On the principle of doing good deeds? No, but on the principle of faith. For we hold that a man is justified and made upright by faith, independent of and distinctly apart from good deeds. A man is justified by faith independent and distinctly separate from anything we could ever do. Paul continues through three, four, five to slay the works mindset. It's nothing you could do to make yourself acceptable to God. It's by faith. The conviction, like we read in Hebrews 11, the title deed of things unseen. To believe without anything that we're doing. We're not wrestling for it. We're not going after it. And uh, in, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, it says that we're, again, he's saying, justified not by works, by faith that is credited as righteousness. I'm going to read i got to read this. I'll read it in the uh, New American Standard. But it says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works... His wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. David said, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. This is only obtained by faith. We are children of Abraham. He's a father of faith. Before he was circumcised, he believed. So it was before circumcision even was uh, begun, was even a thing instituted. He believed, and for that reason, that was a result of his faith. He became circumcised because of the word of the Lord. He believed God. He had conviction of the word of the Lord. He believed what God spoke to him, and he became the father of our faith. We are all children of Abraham. He was going to become the father of many nations, which is all of us since that time that have believed. We are children of faith. This is our inheritance. 
We are believers. We're children of faith. We're children of Abraham. Why do I mention all this uh, Romans 3 and 4 where he's tearing apart the works mindset is to highlight and remind everyone in the room and myself included that a works mindset is in direct opposition to faith. A works mindset is in direct opposition to faith. So if, you, if that's at work in you, you have faith and then something else at work in you, you're going to be in a constant struggle to believe God for anything because you're constantly going to want to work to produce something, to produce the promise, to produce whatever God's telling you to do. And Paul was saying, no, it has nothing to do with anything that you can do. It's by faith. And for some reason, it's the hardest thing for us to do to say, I believe. And that be the foundation because we want to work. We want to produce. We want to earn something. And for some reason, uh, typically when we're doing that, it's to say, but God, I deserve. So then we can get mad at God when things don't go our way because I'm earning I'm trying to earn my way into his good favor. I'm trying to earn my way into his blessing. I'm trying to show him how awesome I am as a believer, as a child, so that he blesses me. And then if it doesn't happen, which we'll see as a result of doubt and unbelief, but if it doesn't happen, then I get mad at God. God, how could you? I don't deserve this. It's the older son reality that we've talked about before. It's that false maturity. It's pretend. I don't deserve this. How could you? Why? Why are you doing this to me? Why? And that is all rooted in a works mindset that says I'm going to try to earn my way into his promises, which can't happen. It can't happen. It's not meant to be that way. And thank God. It's not meant to be that way. His way is much better. His way is so much better. A works mindset in direct opposition to faith attempts to keep us distracted, working to salvation rather than from it. Doing good works is a part of our lives in the Lord, right? True faith, true maturity looks like something, meaning we're living something out. We're actually doing stuff, but it's not unto getting into good favor with God. It's not unto trying to get his promises and that he would bless me. It's not unto that. If it is in us, that's a works mindset. And it's going to be in direct opposition to faith always. It's always claiming what is deserved. It focuses solely on the work that they're doing it and comparing to everyone else's works. And a lot of times, our works always seem good enough and higher, either higher than others or good enough <laughs> when in comparison. Well, I'm doing more than so-and-so. Why wouldn't you bless me? I'm doing more than I did last year. Even that, even when you compare to yourself. But God, I'm doing so much better. Why don't you... That's a works mindset. That's not faith. It's in direct opposition to faith. And James says you can receive nothing from God with that mindset. So it will be a perpetual bummer. 
A works mindset is, is associated with pressure, obligation, and fear. Pressure, you're going to always feel pressured. Oh, if I don't do this, they're going to see me and think I'm not a good Christian. If I don't, it's an obligation. I don't do things because I delight to. I do things because I have to. And man, it stinks. <laughs> it works. Or fear, fear of what other people will think if you're not doing. Pressure, obligation, and fear is the fruit of a works mindset. Um, saying I deserve or getting angry at God are fruits of a works mindset. I, I know this so well because I was examining my life. I was like the poster child for works mindset. <laughs> Seriously, I, I'm not joking. I, for so many years, thank God for his patience with me. Thank God because I didn't see it. I didn't see it. I mean, for so many years, he was trying to show me, and it wasn't even until, like, I got measures of freedom over 15 years. It wasn't until three months ago that I legitimately got free and unclean spirit left, and I'm free, <laughs> like 100% free. So now I'm looking back, and it's so joyful. Like, I can't even tell you how freeing freedom is. <laughs> it's wonderful. And then looking back, I'm thinking, wow, pressure, obligation, fear, deserving, angry at God when I don't get the things that I say, but what about me, God? What about me? I'm doing so much. I'm doing so much for you. I didn't realize that those weren't just natural emotions. <laughs> that was something in direct opposition to faith in me and had to be kicked out. Whew, thank God we can be free because I'm a new creation. You know what else is in direct opposition to faith? Doubt and unbelief. In direct opposition to faith. Look at James 1. Again, this is just a scan. We're going to go deeper into some of these things. I'm amped. James 1. First, before, yeah, okay, James 1. Consider it. Holy, joyful, my brethren, whenever you are <laughs> enveloped in or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations. Okay, you cannot be in full joy when you're enveloped in trials unless you're free from doubt and unbelief and a works mindset. I'm telling you. You cannot be enveloped, uh, you cannot be fully joyful when enveloped in various trials and temptations without being free from a works mindset, doubt, and unbelief. If you encounter trials in your life and various temptations and all that it produces in you is a, God, why me? Why does this always happen to me? I'm telling you, that's what I did. That was the fruit of my life from a works mindset because I thought I deserved something. Now it's so clear. I thought I deserved something because I had been so faithful. I'd given my yes so many times, right? Tear those things apart, and then trial comes, and you can truly be joyful. <laughs> You can truly be joyful when trial, when you're enveloped, completely surrounded by trials, 
and various temptations. Be assured and understand that the trial and proving of your faith brings about endurance and steadfastness and patience. And let endurance and patience have its full play and, and have its perfect results that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. What Earlier, in just 20 minutes ago, what was the other passage? Immaturity, children, tossed to and fro by the waves. Sounds like Ephesians 4. He's saying it here as well. You must ask in faith without any doubting. Well, that sounds pretty harsh, God. What if I just have a little doubt? What if it's, yeah, what if it's just a little bit? Like, that seems mean. I have to be fully in faith. The one who doubts like a surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind, for that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. That sounds harsh, but good news is we've not been given a spirit of doubt and unbelief. The spirit of God in us produces faith. So if something in you is questioning and having doubt and unbelief, it's an unclean spirit. Tom and I, Pastor Tom and I, just got free from it three days ago. Others in the body I know have just gotten free from it. They took authority over unbelief, cast it out. Did you feel the measure of faith in the room this morning? <laughs> it changes things. Things actually change. I've experienced certain things that triggered me in the past to doubt and unbelief that I didn't realize were in my mind and were not me. The other day, the same situations have happened, and I was filled with so much joy. I, I had to tell Tom, I'm like, you will not believe this. I, this trial came, this thing came before me, and instead of what I would normally do, which has been common in the past two years, three years, feel like, oh, God, what the heck? Get angry at God, feel dread. Instead, I literally was almost laughing with joy. And I thought, this is James 1. It actually is produced naturally. I don't have to work for it. Hey, I got free from works mentality and unbelief, and now I'm filled with a lot more joy. <laughs> These things, they come. But this is doubt and unbelief are in direct opposition to faith. They push back against it. Did you see Kale step up on the chairs this morning? That was awesome. That was awesome. He was moved by the Spirit of God to do something in faith. That's a demonstration of faith that he was pushed to do something, and he, said he did it. It was his obedience, yes. That's what we're talking about here. If he was in doubt and unbelief, I guarantee that would not have happened. That's in direct opposition to a move of God to, to faith. Doubt and unbelief look like constantly questioning God's voice. Can't hear clearly and can't discern clearly. 
everything's pretty cloudy. Just like, oh, I don't know what God's saying. I don't know. Is this right? There's a lot of confusion around it. Hey, that's doubt and unbelief. It's not your new man. It's not the spirit of God. He's not a spirit of confusion. He's not a God of confusion. Confusion there. Wavering. Things aren't clear. Doubt and unbelief. Always looks at this also... The fruit of it all is always looking to what's seen rather than what's unseen. Looking to what's seen rather than what's unseen. So if you get, you know, just um, consumed by natural circumstances, this is what was happening to me. I was consumed by certain natural circumstances, and it would push me to despair and frustration. Hey, that's not the fruit of the Spirit, right? (laughs) deep sadness, even feeling depressed. Hey, that's not the new man. That's not the spirit of God. When I'm enveloped with trials and temptations, I consider it joy. (laughs) That's the spirit of God. But when you're in doubt and unbelief or if there's something unclean there, there's agreement with doubt and unbelief, You always find yourself looking to what's seen and being consumed by what's seen. You're deeply affected by what's seen rather than grounded in what's unseen. Where instead, like I'm noticing the fruit of this thing that I went through the other day, just, I feel so stable. (laughs) This is awesome. I feel so steady. Incredible. And then James 1, 5 through 7, we read it. The one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And it says, in fact, if you ask in doubt, you won't receive anything from God. So doubt perpetuates more doubt. You're asking God with a little bit of doubt. He says, doesn't matter. <laughs> little leaven, leaven's the whole lump. You ask him with a little doubt, you're not going to receive it, which is going to perpetuate your doubt and grow that stronghold a little more. Well, God didn't answer. I knew it. (laughs) Well, he didn't answer like I thought he wasn't going to answer. Well, the scripture says you will not receive anything from God. The testing of our faith which I believe looks like a waiting period or a delay to an answer, delay to the the reception of the promise that tests our faith. I was thinking about my journey with chikungunya. My faith was being tested because I believed God is healer and I believe I was going to be healed and that promise delayed, right? It took time. Why wasn't it instant? That was testing my faith, and what it produced in me was not more doubt, not more unbelief. It produced endurance, perseverance, proven character, actually deepened my walk with the Lord. So there's two things, and and don't confuse them. Don't confuse them, because just because there's a delay to an answer to prayer doesn't mean you're in doubt unless the fruit of it is showing doubt, right? It's the fruit. So there was a delay to my healing, but what it was producing in me was life, 
Endurance, perseverance, proven character, delight in God, greater revelation of who he is, his nature. He was speaking to me through scripture. It was producing all these things of his spirit inside of me. But I'm going to share something very personally with you as family, just to end here. Um, You guys know some of our journey with wanting to have kids. And there were there were seeds of doubt and unbelief in my heart about that. And the longer it was taking, like we weren't getting pregnant, we weren't getting pregnant, we, weren't, we just kept not getting pregnant. So that was happening. So then I felt like a dread every time the new month came, right? This dread, oh no. Lord, will it be, please let it be. And then it wasn't. And I would be thrown into despair, anger, frustration. And it got worse and worse and worse to the most recent one last month where I was like, I can't even tell you, I was sobbing, wailing, wailing in deep emotional pain, just heart-wrenching pain. And then I realized because of the freedom sessions we're doing, I'm starting to make a list of lands I'm taking back. And I thought, you know what? Dread is not from God. (laughs) Dread is not from God. So That does not need to be my story. Somewhere that thing came in and it's stealing from me. So I decide in my morning time of the Lord, I'm going to take authority, break agreement with dread. I get free from dread. Control was there too. Those two things got kicked out. (laughs) So amazing, right? So this happens. Then me and Tom are amped and we're like, let's do another. Let's let's do some more. So then he goes through one for himself, and then he wants to do unbelief for himself. So I start to agree with him for unbelief, and I realize, wait, I need to do this too. I, get, I, I didn't see it, but let me just do it too. So we start going for it together. At the end, I start shouting at the top of my lungs, we're children of Abraham. We're believers. We're believers. We're children of faith. And then I felt this break, something just break off of me. And I said, and the fruit of it will be the Pearsons and Robinsons getting pregnant. And then I heard in my mind, it's done. And I started weeping, like the most joyful weep I've ever had. And I thought, and then (laughs) the days are going on and I'm realizing my doubt was even preventing the answer and perpetuating more doubt, what scripture says. Now I'm full of faith. Hey guys, it's about to happen any day now. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. It's like what Kristen was singing this morning. What The hope, what was it? Time to get your hopes up. That's what faith says. Time to get your hopes up. Because those who hope in the Lord will not be disappointed. The fact is there are things that are stealing from us that prevent us from walking in the fullness of joy and actually receiving the promises that God has said yes to. He's not been withholding them. And even when there's a delay in it, we can find joy, perseverance, endurance, even being drawn in closer to God. I feel so confident of this that I'm not even praying about it anymore because he said, it's done. I feel so confident, secure. This is a fruit of faith. 
And sometimes you got to kick the doubt and unbelief out, which means breaking agreement with it. Sometimes we unintentionally come into agreement with things. I didn't even think that I was going to do it with him. And it wasn't until the Spirit of God just said, oh, that's you too. You need to do this. Uh, Okay, let me try. If it's there, it's there, right? And it left, and I felt it leave, and I'm experiencing the joyful fruit of it afterwards. Freedom is really, really great. So I just want to present this to you if you want to go put on. We're going to have our leadership team come up because we want to pray with people today because if we break doubt and unbelief off of any person in here that feels like I need to be free from this, hey, that's me. I definitely have made agreement with that. I can tell. (laughs) Whatever. If while I've been speaking, you say, oh, yeah, I'm there. That's me. The Spirit of God's touching this. Think about a few of us. There was four that I know of that specifically dealt with unbelief in this body. And what did we experience in measure of faith today? Can you imagine if all of us were 100% free from doubt and unbelief, filled with faith, what our gatherings would be like? (laughs) Through the roof. I'm so amped about this. So we want to agree with you in prayer. If you're saying, oh, I want it. I got to have it. I want to break agreement with that. If any of these things touched you, said, yeah, I feel dread, I feel a sense of, and that's not going to happen, this, even the inkling, the thought in your mind, I want to encourage you, it's not you, good news, not you, (laughs) you're not fighting against yourself, you're a new creation, when a situation that's impossible comes up, do you find yourself believing God to intervene, or do you find yourself doubting that it's going to happen, it's a way to tell, do you feel driven, always just to and fro moving oh my goodness i'm just confused and under confusion and doubt is perpetuating more doubt and unbelief are you wrestling with confusion and can't hear see or discern clearly if any of these fruits are in your life look to the root so team why don't you